You're listening to Choose FI Radio. The blueprint for financial independence lives here. If you're looking to unlock the secrets to financial independence and early retirement, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and join a community of like-minded people who are getting off the hamster wheel and taking control of their lives in the pursuit of financial independence. Choose FI, your home for financial independence online. I'm really excited about today's episode. You know, here's the frame. If you're lucky, if you're fortunate, you have 25,000 days on this earth. We're going to be talking with Grant, the author of the book, Financial Freedom, the creator of Millennial Money. We're going to be talking with him how he set aside a thousand of these days to carve out financial freedom for himself. Going from $2.26 in his pocket, not able to afford a Chipotle burrito to $1.25 million within a period of about five years. And what this process taught him about the path to financial freedom and the path to financial independence. And to help me with this, I have my co-host Brad here with me today. How you doing, buddy? Hey, Jonathan, I'm doing quite well. We had the good fortune of meeting Grant actually at the last couple of FinCons. And at this last one, I chatted with him for probably 90 minutes to two hours on just philosophy of FI and life. And it was one of those fantastic conversations that you leave just so incredibly energized. And yeah, Grant is a real next level thinker. And I'm just excited for him to share his story for the FI community, because I think there are a lot of lessons that everyone in our community can take from him, both financially and with his entrepreneurial journey, where he's going with his book. There's a lot here. So with that, Grant, welcome to the podcast. Hey, it's a true honor. I've been a longtime listener and big fan, and I'm excited to be on the show and share what I can. You know, I enjoyed reading your book, and in particular, I'm looking at this screenshot of your last penny in your bank account that was saved for perpetuity. Well, you know, while I'm very interested in the path from one penny to $2.26, set the frame for this awakening moment. I need to make a change. Where are you? What year is this? What's going on in your life? So in August 2010, I found myself living back home with my parents. I was 24 years old, and I was literally sleeping in the same bed that I slept in as a seven-year-old kid. And the way I got there, I graduated with a philosophy degree. I bounced around a number of jobs after college, never quite found the right fit, got laid off twice. And so by the time that I arrived at my parents' house, I'd sent out almost 200 resumes without a single call back. So I, I was running out of money. And so they told me that I could crash, but I could only stay for three months. And most importantly, that they weren't even going to give me a dime. And so I I was put back in my childhood home in the pressure cooker. And every night that I went down to dinner, just like I had as a kid, my parents, sometimes they'd ask me how applying to jobs was going. But most of the time, I could just see the sheer sort of disappointment and curiosity and concern and I was the only one of my friends who you know, was living back with their parents. And not only was I starting from square negative five, I had no money and really no prospects. And that's really where my FI story starts. You know, my question is like, was it the race car bed? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, it, it wasn't the race car bed, but it was the room that literally I'd stayed in since I was a seven-year-old kid 
The posters were still up. My old soccer jerseys were still in the closet. You know, it was like literally stepping back into my childhood. And I was like, why am I moving backwards in life? And um, it was a tough spot. That's why I took that screenshot in the book. It's still my bank account. It still hangs in my closet to this day because I always wanted to remember that, that feeling, that starting point. So Grant, up until that point, you had done everything right. As I understand it, you graduated from the University of Chicago, which is an absolute elite university in America, and you got a degree. It seemed like everything was on its way up. But this is a typical millennial's lament, maybe about society. And I'm curious if you have thoughts generally and specifically about your path. Yeah, so I grew up doing everything that I was supposed to do. My parents grew up very poor in rural Indiana and put everything into giving me a new opportunity, literally leaving both of their families, moving from Indiana to the suburbs of Washington, D.C. to give me a better life when they moved there. My mom was a secretary. My dad cleaned offices. Very, I knew from a very early age that they moved to give me that opportunity. So I had that kind of pressure. And it really propelled me through my life. I worked hard. I was always really curious. Um, I graduated number two in my class. I went to a good college. I always, you know, I always like did what I thought I was supposed to do. But the one thing that I really struggled with a lot was the world kept asking me, what's your purpose? What do you want to do with your life? What's your why? And I didn't know. That put a lot of pressure on me I tried a lot of different things, couldn't figure out what I wanted to do, where I wanted to be. And I think we put a a lot of pressure on young people, even people in their 20s, to figure out what makes them happy. And sometimes you just need the time and space with which to figure that out. And I thought that I had to pick the perfect job and the perfect career that I was going to do for the rest of my life. And I didn't know what that was. And I eventually ended up just choosing to run Google ad campaigns, which is something that I knew was a growing industry as opposed to trying to find that perfect thing that I love. But I'd encourage people and parents and everyone out there asking someone to find their why when they don't know what their why or their purpose is, it puts a lot of pressure on them. And to anyone who's listening who doesn't know their why, sometimes you just have to get the time and space and live a little while to figure that out. I didn't actually figure out my purpose in life until after I became financially independent. And it was something I couldn't have chased. It was something that just showed up. And so for me, um, it was that pressure of trying to figure that out that I think made me feel more lost than anything else. You know, I want to go back to this and in particular, cause you mentioned Google ad campaigns, but before this, we just said, you know, I've sent out 200 resumes. Nobody's called me back. Was it quite literally just the 201st resume that you sent out that got a response? Hey, do this for us. Like, did you go to school for Google ad campaigns? Like, how do we get from, you know, looking up into the sky saying what next to, Hey, I'm going to do Google ads. Yeah. So I'd sent out easily over 200. And this is, goes back to that. I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I applied to you know event marketing companies and to newspapers and to writers and to a moving company. And I actually, one, one resume I sent was to be an apprentice for a florist. You know, it was like that diverse. I was like, literally, if this florist would have hired me, I maybe I'd be arranging flowers today. I don't know. But I didn't get a single email back, not even one. And, you know, the job climate was pretty bad in 2010. And I realized, okay, this isn't working. What's a lucrative job? 
you know, what else can I do? And I just happened to be doing a Google search. I was actually looking for money books and I saw a Google mobile ad. So this is on my phone. The first three Google results were ads. And I was like, oh, what's this? And I'd, I'd previously searched for money books. And so I was coming back searching in Google for something else, but it showed me an ad for a money book. And I was like, oh, what is this? And so I literally typed in Google ads into Google. And the first thing that popped up was a news story from a company called eMarketer. And it was like, jobs managing Google campaigns and digital campaigns are projected to grow over 300% in the next decade. You know, it was something like that. And I read the article and I was like, oh, wow, okay, running Google campaigns. And I knew nothing about this. Okay, this is a growing industry. The second Google result was Google AdWords University, which is Google was Google's platform at the time to teach you how to use these ads. I clicked on that. In the sidebar, it said, get Google certified for free, take the certification exam here. And I was, I looked at that and it's like, you know, if you take this test and pass this exam, you know, you're certified by Google to basically run campaigns. It was a free exam and I was next to it. It was like, here's everything that you need to study Google AdWords university. And it was a bunch of free videos and free content. And then I was like, okay, I watched the first one introduction to Google advertising it was interesting enough and I didn't have any other options. And so then I started watching the other video and within 30 days going from knowing nothing about this, I actually really, really overstudied because I didn't know how hard the exam was going to be. I put my all into it and I passed the exam the first time that, that I took it and was certified. I put it on my LinkedIn profile, put it on my resume, did a search for Google campaign jobs, figured out that wasn't the right Google search, and it recommended digital marketing jobs. And then I found that and I was living in DC, but my girlfriend lived in Chicago. So I wanted to move back to Chicago and I typed in Chicago digital marketing jobs and I applied to the first one that I found, which was at a small agency. And three days later, I got uh, an email back for to do uh, a call, uh, an interview call. And then I got another call the next day to go fly to Chicago and, and to interview. And I got the first job that I applied to. They said later that I was so passionate about Google campaigns because I had like been in the trenches and I was so desperate for a job that they couldn't not hire me. And that's, that's <laughs> I, I, I personally have trouble detecting started. your passion. Where are you hiding it? <laughs> <laughs> I ended up falling in love with uh, Google running Google campaigns is extremely competitive, really fun. And the most important thing, at least at the time, I figured out that you could make 20% of media spend to run Google campaigns. And so if you can manage a million dollar budget for a brand, you know, you can get $200,000 to manage that million dollar budget. And this is actually more money than financial advisors and money managers can make. And so that really attracted me as well, because at this time I had also, because I'd searched best money books, literally the first two money books I ordered were your money or your life and David box automatic millionaire. Those were the results on Google best money books. And I feel extremely lucky that Google picked Vicky's book. And that was the first one that I read because that completely changed my life. So by the time that I got the job, my takeaway from Vicky, which, um, she actually didn't intend and she always gets on me for this was okay because I'm trading my life energy and my time for money I need to make as much money as possible for my time and so I set out to do that all right Grant so we talk a lot about imposter syndrome 
I'm trying to place where you are here. You're a philosophy major. You have $2.26 in your bank account. You've applied for hundreds of jobs and you need to come up with something different. And you found this incredible Google search that just hit you like a bolt of lightning. But I'm curious if you have any actionable takeaways for the audience, because undoubtedly there are many, many thousands of people in a almost identical situation to you. They're hopeless or so it seems, but it's maybe a Google search away, something as simple as that. How do you advise people to look for areas where their skills and talents, or even just something that they've never come across, like how you did it, that they can move forward and not just get stuck in sending the 250th resume, the 350th resume? Where does someone on a granular level go from there? If you're stuck in your life, the first thing that I encourage people to do and I had to do this was really be honest uh, with myself that I'm stuck. One of the things I've learned, and in this case, even for me, most people are like two or three steps away from a life that they'd really love. And money to me only matters if it helps you live a life that you love. And we live in such an all or nothing world where when you're stuck, you feel like you have to quit your job or give up everything to live this new life but you're often two or three steps away from a really awesome life that you're going to love. And in many cases, those two or three steps have to do with money and have to do with your career. And I encourage people, and I did this, I sat there and I was like, clearly what I'm doing in my life is not working. One of the things I, I recommend you do is, you know, when you stop listening to this podcast episode or later today, just, just take a moment and look around at your life. Look at your relationships, your friendships, and one of the things you might realize is that you're happy with your relationship, you're happy with the kids you have, you're happy with your friends, you know, maybe you don't like your job that much, but maybe you've already won the game. And maybe the million dollars or financial independence, while they're really admirable goals, maybe you've already have that life that you love, you just, you don't quite see it. And maybe your job's not perfect. Life's never going to be perfect, no matter how much money you have. But I see so many people running after that next thing because that's how we're grow that's how we grow up. That's what I did. I was looking for that promotion. I was looking for that dollar amount. I was looking to grow my net worth. When in reality, even though I was stuck, I already had so many things to be grateful for. On the flip side, if you look around at your life and maybe you're unhappy with the friends you have or your relationships aren't that great or you know you are in a really toxic environment at work, being able to be honest with yourself about, you know, I don't like my job and I don't know how to make it better, that is clarity. That is seeing the world in a new way. And honestly, life is too short to do a job that you don't like. It's just too short. There are too many opportunities out there for you, so many different ways to make money, but we're so afraid just to take that step. And the thing is, a vast majority of things in life, you can always go back. You know, if you're at a job and you have a certain skill set, no matter what that is, you can always go back to your job. What you might not be able to do is in 10 years, take the risk that you could today to move in the direction of a life that you'd really love. And from a really practical standpoint, so many people are like, I want to be a millionaire. I want to become financially independent. And then I ask them, okay, you know, how much money do you have today? Where, where are you? And they're living paycheck to paycheck. 
Yes, a million dollars or financial independence, that's a great goal, set that. But that's like five to 10 years down the road. Don't, don't think about that right now. Think about just getting to that next step. And in the book, I have seven levels of financial freedom with clarity, just looking around at your life that you're living and your money and getting a sense for where you're at. You can only start from where you actually are. And so many people try to jump to level six, which is financial independence, without just getting to the next level. So if you're stuck in your life, Save six months of expenses. You're going to sleep better at night. You're going to have more time and space. You're not going to worry as much about getting fired. And you're going to be a little bit higher up the ladder. And it's going to change your perspective. When you're stuck in your life and you don't have any money and you're living paycheck to paycheck, don't focus on climbing to level six. Just get to level two. Just get six months of expenses. And that's one of the things, just focusing on that you're going to get there and you're going to see a little bit clearer. It might be easier for you to let whatever your boss is telling you roll off your shoulder. It's going to give you more, help you feel more in control and more empowered to you know, look for another job because maybe you could take three months to find that job. Um, if you have one year of expenses saved and you're in a bad work situation, you already have the freedom with which to take some time off and maybe figure out something new to do. And, and new to do is great, man, but you didn't have any job, right? And then suddenly you had a job. And, and I just want to set the frame for the audience, you know, up to this point, you got a degree in something and it's almost kind of this almost cliche millennial story. I got the expensive degree and there were no jobs waiting for me. And so instead of beating my head against the wall, I went in a completely different direction. And I want to clarify that what you're doing or what you did that was a major vehicle towards your path to financial independence had nothing, nothing to do with your four-year education. That's insane. In fact, it's a skill set that was self-developed, which all skill sets essentially are, if you think about it. It's on you to learn the job. It's a skill set that was self-developed over a period of like 30 to 60 days. And then suddenly all of these doors, which were impossible, right? They're just impossible. I can't get it. I didn't get to have a degree in this. Suddenly they're open for you. While all of that is amazing, and I hope our audience takes that and comes up with their own variation of that, What's more impressive to me about your story is that you didn't stop there. Like, hey, let me find a company with a million dollar budget and then I'm going to make some percentage of that and that's 200,000 a year. That that would do it. I mean, right? That's that's incredible. You didn't just settle. What drove you to pursue all these other opportunities and what did you stumble into? So, this is 2010 and you know, I read your money your life. Joe Dominguez retired at 30. That was like 30 plus years before. I'd never heard of anyone ever except for one family friend who retired at 49. And what I did is during this process, I looked around my world and I saw my parents were in their late 50s. They were still working. All their friends were still working. Their friends were stressed about money. My friends were stressed about money. Everyone was stressed about money. And I felt like, oh, everything that I've been told about money and everything that people are doing with money clearly is not working. I'm going to read everything that I can about money. And so the confluence of learning the new skill set and getting the job. So I got the job. So I got out of my parents' house making $50,000. I clearly, the first week on my job, I set up my 401k and I did a simple calculation. I just ran a calculation. I was like, okay, if I make $50,000 and save 10% of my income, how long will it you know, take for me to have enough money to retire? I did a early like a retirement calculator and it told me I need $3.5 million. And I was like, A, that seems like an insane amount of money. How am I ever going to get there? And B, clearly $50,000 and saving 10% of my income is not going to get me there. 
So that numbers game, I was like, this is not going to be possible. I, at that time, was saving 60% of my income right out of the gate. I got the crappiest apartment that I could. I knew that keeping my housing expense was important. So I, I did the math and realized that it wasn't going to be enough money. But here I had this diverse skill set. So then the next question, I was like, can I start my own company? And I realized I don't know enough yet. But the biggest blessing in my life was that the job that I got was at a 25-person digital marketing agency, which was like the training ground. I was like, this, these people know so much. So I spent time with the SEO guys and the front-end web programmers and the back-end web programmers and the sales guys and the CEO. You know, I was like 24 in, in this whole new career, and I was like, I'm going to learn as much as I can from these people. Three months in, I was like, okay, I'm going to try this on my own. I just went to Craigslist. This is how little I knew. And I searched for website. And one of the first ads that or results that popped up in the classifieds was a uh, the posting jobs was a was a lawyer who needed a new website. Individual lawyer needs new website, and he had a five hundred dollar budget. So I emailed him. I told him I said, you know, I'm new to this. I'm young, but I can build you a website, the best website ever for five hundred dollars. I didn't know how to do it, but over the next three weeks, you know, I ended up getting the job. I taught myself WordPress, which in 2010 was a lot harder to use than it is today. And then I built him a website. Three months later, he connected me to a local association of attorneys, and I sold my first $50,000 website to a medium-sized law firm. Wait, wait, stop, stop, stop. How do we go from $500 to $50,000? Did you forget about like the $1,000 and $2,000 stepping stone? Like, How does this happen? You know, I had nothing to lose. I was already saving 60% of my income. And the thing is, I got connected and I had a few opportunities at the time that I realized that, you know, you're not going to make that money unless you try to ask for it. And I actually figured out later that one of the people in the marketing department said they would have paid me up to $100,000. And my whole value proposition was, hey, you can go out and hire an expensive digital marketing agency, but I'm young and you know I'm flexible and I'm going to over-deliver and I can do this for half the amount of money in a quarter of the amount of time. How did and you so, know that it was going to be half the amount of money? Like, I'm genuinely interested in this because I know there's people listening to this like, well, heck, I could teach my, I could teach myself how to build a website. How did you know that there was a range that you were in the range? You know, forget the fact that you could have charged twice as much. You could have charged hundred K. How did you know a guy, all right, Hey, the first, imagine the first email. I mean, you remember writing it. Hey, I'm new, but I work hard and I'm going to teach myself how to do this and I can produce the best website you've ever seen and do it faster than you've ever seen. And it's only gonna be 500, but I get that email. Most people start with that email. For the second email to be, hey, I can make websites and it's going to be $50,000, you have to have some information in order to get from A to B. That doesn't happen by accident. Absolutely. So the best information that I had, and I didn't write that email, the $500 sale was over an email. The $50,000 was actually over coffee. And so you know, much higher chance of selling a five or six or seven figure project, obviously in person. But I had a few things going for me. I made friends with Dave and Jade, who were the two head salespeople at my agency. They started showing me the proposals that were going out for my agency. So I knew that my agency would have charged this law firm between $120,000 and $150,000 for that same type of a website. And so I knew that that was kind of the market rate because that's what my agency would have chosen. Would have would, So I had that knowledge base. The second thing that I had was a really, really satisfied, credible reference. 
And so this guy had recommended me and my first client became my most valuable client. I actually used him as a reference for over a year and he was like, yeah, Grant, we'll get it done. He got it done really quickly. So I had that knowledge base because I made friends with the sales guy. So I knew that my agency would charge a hundred plus thousand dollars for this website. And I also knew it would take my agency, you know, probably two or three months to do it. And there's huge, huge margins in a digital agency business, but there's also a lot of overhead. So I knew my agency had to charge this to cover their cost and pay you know, all the partners. And so I just could undercut agencies that side. And I swung for the fences. I didn't have anything to lose. Most people are so afraid about losing uh, a job opportunity or a project that they completely undersell themselves. You know, if I hadn't gotten it, if I swung for the fences and completely missed the ball, I would have gone out and tried to sell someone else something. The the only thing that you can hear is no. Maybe they say no, you know, we don't have 50,000, but could you do it for 32,000? Mm-hmm. And that's actually helped me in my career too because I've swung for the fences and been like, "Oh, you know, that's going to be $100,000." project and people, you know, you don't hear back from them for a week and you're sweating a little bit and you're like, oh, I overpriced that. And then you get the email back and say, sorry, we only have (laughs) $78,000. You know what I mean? And it's like, you always want to sell projects. You want whoever you're selling to, you want it to hurt a little bit. You know, if you don't get pushback on your pricing in anything in your life, you're not charging enough. Grant, that's fantastic. There's almost too many things for me to touch on, but we're always looking for that actionable takeaway for the audience. And regardless of whether they're going to make websites in the future or do something else, to me, the biggest aspect here is that credible reference. Have you ever tried to quantify how much that was worth to you over that year? And I think more importantly, of course, how would someone who's starting with a new skill or new business go about getting that credible reference? Because that to me was, was that point that propelled you to success. Yeah. In the book, I talk about the first sale you make or the first customers you have, they're going to be the most important ones you ever have in your life. And so the net impact of me getting that reference was probably hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, over that first couple of years. And then the net impact over the last eight years since I first did it has probably been $700,000 or more because I was able to then use that to launch another company and make money that I invested. And so those first clients are so, so important. One of the ways that you can really get those first clients is that you have to learn how to sell. And I actually think that, you know, I get pitched websites all the time and people email me, you know, trying to offer me these things I already know. And 99% of people sell the wrong way. They try to sell the value of the product. Hey, you're going to get more website traffic or you're going to make more money. You know, you're going to do all these things. But at the end of the day, everyone's trying to sell that same way. What they're not trying to do, and this is what I ended up figuring out, they're not trying to help you and your client look good to your boss. And so I realized with that $50,000 website that I sold, I was selling to one person who represented the law firm. And all that one person wanted, of course, she wanted a great website. Of course, she wanted a website done in less time and for the right amount of money. But what she really wanted was to look good to her boss and to look good to the partners. 
And so I shifted my mindset and I realized it doesn't matter how hard you work or how much time you spend or how many late nights and you know you spend on a project. What matters is helping your client look good to their boss. And then that completely guided my entire career where I started spending more of my time increasing the perceived value of my work. And that's what helped me stand apart. The other thing is selling is storytelling. And if you're a solopreneur or an entrepreneur, your story, who you are as a person is more important than the skills you have. Everyone that's pitching for that website project or trying to get the business, everyone can do the job. You know, everyone's going to say they can do the job in the best way, and they're all going to have references. What they don't have is your story. And so I was able to go in and sell my story. Hey, you know, I'm 25 years old. I started, once I started my own agency, I'm 25 years old. I have my own agency. I'm going to be able to do this in less money and less time. And let me tell you, I'm so passionate about this. And I would lead with my story. I really believe that websites should be more accessible. And I'm really passionate about helping you reach the right customers. Marketing is changing, and I see far too many law firms wasting their dollars on expensive TV ads and billboards, but digital marketing presents a unique opportunity for you to be able to reach people. And you know the best thing about it? Google advertising, you only pay when someone clicks. If someone sees a billboard, you're paying for every time someone sees the billboard or a banner ad. With Google ads, you only pay when someone is expressing intent, when they're saying, hey, I'm interested, I want to learn more. And so your marketing dollars are spent more efficiently. And I'm going to build a website that's best equipped to help you generate those leads for your business. And I'm really passionate about making sure, because in my life, I value money. I want to make sure that I'm able to help you make the most of your limiting marketing dollars. And so I connect it to my life. And so you, you're selling at a human level. You're selling between, so the better you understand people and individuals, everyone's so different. So get to know the person, you know, what are their goals? One of the first things I asked people when I'd be in a sales meeting is tell me about yourself. You know, who are you? You know, what do you want to do? Do you like your job? Do you enjoy this? What makes you passionate about what you're doing? And I got to know the person and then I was able to align my story with their story create even ground. But that's awesome, man. I mean, that, that's really, what is it that people want? And it's not, it's not, I want more money. It's not that I, you know, and all of this is probably true. I want more money. I want the business to grow, but you know, in this case, I want to look good for upper management. I want to deliver something that shines really, really well on me. So I've been able to reframe that as, as a massive part of this. Let's talk about with the actions that you took and the things that you discovered. What I love about this is I feel like you're willing to look outside of your comfort zone. And because of that, you stumble onto opportunity. You find outliers that other people, you're looking where people just simply aren't looking. So in mid 2010, you found digital marketing before everybody was selling Facebook ads. You realized that there was something here. And then beyond this, you found, you realize websites. And when Craigslist, you, you're initially got to start on Craigslist. And then you realize, wow, if ad agencies with these massive budgets are charging this amount without this overhead, I can save my client the premium and deliver the same product because I'm able to build this talent stack while I'm working for a company. I add all these skills in, and now I have something that I can take and it's marketable. And you knew the range. That's incredible. And anybody can emulate that. What else, what other outliers over the last five years did you find that massively moved the needle that people just, frankly, you're still shocked that they don't know about. Gosh, there's so many that are in the book. I feel like the entire book is like, here's everything that you think you think about money and why it's not true. Um, 
Um, the perceived value was was obviously one of them. The other one was around side hustling. You know, now that we live in a gig economy, it's the paradox of the gig economy is that yes, you have more flexibility, and yes, you can go out on your own. And it's you know, we buy this vision, and you see this blog post of this digital entrepreneur on a beach, and everyone wants to be a digital nomad. But I can tell you. A lot of the digital nomads that I meet, they're all really stressed out about getting that next client or about keeping their business afloat, about making that next dollar. You know, they actually don't have very much freedom. And in fact, they'd be more stressed than they would in their full-time job. And I'll get to that in a second. But one of the things I learned is that a majority of Americans don't take full advantage of just their full-time job. You know, 70% of people in the United States aren't taking full advantage of their benefits. Most people in the country want to raise, but then they never ask for one. And whether you like your job or not, right now, whether you want to be an entrepreneur or not, your current full-time job, how you're making money, is the place that you need to start optimizing your financial life. Go in a 20-minute meeting with your HR, head of HR. Am I taking full advantage of the benefits that we offer? Just ask that question. Most people have like twenty dollars to $30,000 of benefits they don't even know exist, and they're not taking advantage of them. That's part of your compensation. You know, figuring out, I, I go into a very, very detailed process about how to figure out the most amount of money that you can make for your job. This is one of the things that no one takes advantage of. There are recruiters literally in every single industry. Recruiters are just people who are getting paid to place people like you into jobs. And most people think that they have to have a company to talk to a recruiter or they only talk to a recruiter maybe if they want a new job. But recruiters are the people that are closest to the market. And one of the things that I did early on was establish relationships with four different recruiters in Chicago that recruited for digital marketing agencies. And I did it not because I was looking for a new full-time job. I wanted to understand what was happening in the market. And that's one of the things that I've always tried to do. What's actually happening in the market? It changes so fast. Now it's hard to make money building WordPress websites. It wasn't in 2010. But back to that point is a simple thing you can do right now, go on Google, type in recruiting firm or recruiters, and then whatever uh, industry that you're actually working in. Contact the first three or four recruiters, talk to them and share your resume with them and tell them what you're getting paid. And you're going to get more information in like two or three hours of calls with them than you can find anywhere. They're going to be open to talk to you because they want to place you in a new job because then they make money, they make a commission. But even if you're not looking for another job, they're going to be able to tell you you're getting underpaid by $22,000. This company over here, they're looking for someone like you. They'd be willing to pay you $30,000 more. Oh, you know what? One thing that people really want is they want you to have this other skill set that you don't have. And if you had that skill set, then you'd qualify for this job and you could make $60,000 more. And so many people are like sitting on a full-time job thinking and maybe wanting to make more money. They just don't have good enough information. And Glassdoor, Glassdoor is great. Indeed are great. All these like salary comparison websites are great, but they're nothing compared to talking to a couple of recruiters and forming relationships with recruiters. Because what happens is you might have this conversation and they're like, Hey, Brad, whoa, like based on your experience, 
this company over here, they'd pay you fifty thousand more dollars per year. And you know what? I really know. I know this company, and this company actually has a work remote policy where you can work from wherever you want in the country. And then you're like, wait, I've never. What? Are you kidding me? And then they contact that company for you, and within two weeks, you have a new job making eighty thousand dollars more money, and you can dictate your schedule. All of a sudden, you've transformed your life because you had a one-hour call with a recruiter that you didn't know you could have. And then keeping a relationship with these recruiters over time, they're going to think about you. They're, they're going to, you know, when they get a job that comes up or when something happens, they're going to reach out to you because they want to place you in a new job. So going out, getting the intel, this is what blows my mind. We spend over 2,000 hours a year working. We spend less time looking up how much we should get paid and strategizing how to get paid more than we do like watching sports games or planning a vacation when the net impact, and this is the thing, the whole purpose of the book is to help you make more money in less time. And we're talking about more money in less time over your life. The impact of just one hour conversation with a recruiter literally could make the difference of you making millions of dollars more over your lifetime and then being able to reach FI like decades sooner. And so I encourage everyone to contact recruiters and that's something no one does. Was that a part of your story? I mean, was that something that you used to land the gig with the ad agency? No, it actually wasn't. I was really nervous about launching my own company. Um, And this is one of the things I also write a lot about in the book is like, how do you know if you want to go from being an employee to an entrepreneur? That's why side hustling as a bridge is really valuable. And I was nervous about starting my own company and getting employees and having all that overhead and all that responsibility. Through this last six months, when I was selling all these projects, I was connecting with recruiters because I was like, oh, maybe I could get a job where I'm making $100,000 next year, a full-time job, and just go from my current launching pad to a more lucrative launching pad and a little bit up the ladder, and I'd get a different vantage point. So I talked to recruiters that way. But let me say one more thing, and this is back to the selling piece and it has to do with recruiters. I'm going to tell you a quick story about my friend, Jason, who lives in Chicago. Jason was working at a digital agency running Google campaigns, making $5,000 a month after taxes, so $60,000 a year. And he, he told me, I want to launch my own agency. You know, I want to start my own company, but I don't know how to sell. I told him to contact recruiters just like this with the explicit focus of selling himself as a freelance outsource Google campaign manager. So one of the things that a lot of people don't know is that these big ad agencies, these big marketing companies all across the country, they don't like to keep high overhead. So they have huge networks of freelancers. And one of the things, if they lose a big contract, they don't like to fire everybody. And so the biggest agencies in the world, most digital agencies, they have a network of of people to actually do the work. And so I told him to contact recruiters and say, hey, I'm a freelance PPC manager. I'm trying to get some work on the side. What ended up happening is he got connected to seven different digital agencies in Chicago, and now he makes almost $100,000 a month. So he's a back-end freelancer. Recruiters hook him up with agencies that need help. And now he makes $100,000 a month from $5,000 to $100,000 a month. He doesn't have to do any of the selling. 
the agency does all the selling, and then he's just the one that does the work. And they get such a markup, and so he's getting monthly retainers, and you know he's making more money than than he even knows what to do with. He hired one of his friends to help him, and he didn't have to sell a single project. All he did was forge relationships with four different recruiters who were able to to help him get these clients, and they wanted to because you know they're getting a percentage of that fee as well. So Grant, just taking a real step back here, I, I, I like to look at kind of like the bigger picture. So what you've been describing as a key to success is relationships and also understanding where people are coming from, understanding them as human beings and their incentives, right? I'm wondering if you have any very specific actionable takeaways, like even with recruiters. So you talked about recruiters for a minute there. How do you keep that relationship going? I mean, literally down to, do you have a email that you send every quarter something like, Hey, you know, just wanted to follow up. I've been doing X, Y, and Z. Like, do you send them gifts? Like, you know, not to bribe them, but you know, just little things like that. Like how, how do you, I mean, you can call it a bribe here. You probably don't want to call them a bribe (laughs) in the email, but (laughs) (laughs) very true. Very true. But I mean, not even just recruiters, like how do you on a personal level, keep up all these connections that can really help you down the line, but also Obviously, you don't want to come off as disingenuous, right? So like you want to be a normal human being to them. Like how how do you do that? I don't send gifts. I rarely send emails. I try to do as much face-to-face as possible. And so this is where the lunch or the coffee becomes immensely, immensely important. And so, you know, during this time period, you know, I had a lunch every day with someone. It's fine to go out with like your friends who work at other companies, but I was going out and taking out other people that I worked with who had a different role than me and I was getting to know them. I would go out to lunch with recruiters all the time. Actually, some lunches that I ended up having with recruiters, they're like, oh, my brother's a lawyer. I'm going to introduce you to him. I think he needs a new website. And then he, you know, and then I'd go into a whole nother opportunity. And so as much face-to-face as possible, especially today, emails, most emails go to spam or people don't see them. Everyone's overwhelmed with LinkedIn messages. And, you know, if you want to cut through the clutter, you know, go out to lunch and recruiters will always go out to lunch with you or have you to their office. The face-to-face, the value of face-to-face time today is exponentially, exponentially more valuable than even it was 10 years ago because you're able to build a relationship. You know, there's something that connects us when we're just in person that we don't really understand that's so much richer than just online. And so in the technology age, people are, it's refreshing to go out to lunch and, you know, don't ask people for things, you know, just say, Hey, I want to grab lunch. You know, I want to get to know you. I'm looking to get to know people, blah, 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 and form a relationship with someone people see right through when you're just trying to use them for a transaction form a relationship, just get to know them. And the cool thing is some of them will end up being your friends and it'll open opportunities, but the face-to-face is so essential. I actually, uh, that first year, I easily had probably a hundred lunches. You know, sometimes they pay, sometimes I pay, sometimes it's coffee, but I tried to get out as much as I could and meet them in person. I want to talk a little bit about you know, essentially what comes down to the ultimate equation, right? What you earn minus what you spend is equal to the difference of the gap. We talked in your case, we've spent a lot of time talking about the income side of the piece. I mean, you beat the game. You've got this thing solved. You virtually have access to unlimited income. And I'm curious, 
you know, when you look at the rest of the the equation holistically, is that it? Is all the emphasis just on the earn more side or where do you come down on this balanced approach to financial freedom? I think that a vast majority of the personal finance world tells you to cut back, cut back, cut back. When in reality, it's often those small things like the cup of coffee or the wine or going out with your friends. It's those small things that the world tells you to cut back that bring you the most joy. And so what happens is you're told to you know, create a budget and then you cut out all those things, but you end up cutting the things that actually make you happiest So then you're miserable. Then you fall back into the same spending patterns that you had before and you've lost your way. I think one of the biggest things that's holding people back, the biggest myths in this entire personal finance world is that you need a budget. And I think that budgets certainly work for some people and some people want a budget, but we tell everyone that they need a budget, that they need to track everything that they spend. But I think that that actually reinforces a scarcity mindset because you think you have to cut those small things when in reality, Americans spend 70% of their money on housing, transportation, and food. And you don't increase your savings rate, which we know has a direct correlation to how long it takes you to become financially independent. You don't get it from 5% to 30% by cutting back on your coffee or your wine or hanging out with your friends. You get it from 5% to 30% by reducing your housing expense, by moving to a smaller apartment, by getting a roommate. That's what has the biggest impact. In the book, I have something called the only budget you'll ever need, which I've never had a budget this entire time. I optimized my housing, my transportation, and my food. And then I checked that box and I realized that there's a limit to how much you can cut back. There's not a limit to how much money you can make. And I think if all of personal finance is focused on the cutting back, that actually creates more stress around money that it does help free people. And so I think that the earning side of the equation is infinitely more valuable than the cutting back side. Of course, there's a limit, but if you're making $50,000, your family is, and you you want to try to become financially independent as quickly as possible, you can cut your expenses, say, you know, in half and you're saving 50%. And then that's all you're going to be able to cut. So that's limited how much you can save, but there's not a limit to how much money you can make. And no one really writes about that. Everything that's about how to make more money is very limited. It's very either scammy or not focused. And for me, the X factor was in combining strong money principles, personal finance, entrepreneurship, and investing. Side hustling doesn't matter if you just go out and spend the extra $100 on a dinner. Sure, you might enjoy it and have a good time, but if you side hustle to invest, which is what I did, I invested 100% of my side hustle income, and that's how I got there. That had the biggest impact of anything because I no longer had to trade my time for money. My money was making money for me. So I think there's such a huge over-reliance on cutting back and people get too lost in the weeds, too lost in the spreadsheets, but there's not a limit to how much money you can make. And if you want to get there as fast as possible, focus on the earning side of the coin. That in itself is going to have the biggest net impact and give you more opportunities to save and get you there faster than cutting back into a bare bones lifestyle where you're not happy or you're not enjoying your life or you know just realize that you're making a trade off and that you can go out and make more money and fast track this process if that's your goal. Grant, this has been so much fun and I've loved covering all these different aspects of your story. Now on most shows that would be the end of the episode, but on this show we would love to give you the chance to tackle the hot seat. Are you ready for this? Let's do it, man. 
in a world drowning in debt and rampant consumption, trapped by the chains of lifestyle inflation. These questions highlight the secrets of those who have broken free. Welcome to the Choose FI Hot Seat. Grant, question number one, your favorite blog that's not your own? Zen Habits. There's two websites that uh, I have heard multiple times on this hot seat. One of them is Wait But Why, and I've dug into that site you know, because of the recommendations. And the other one, actually, I really haven't explored, although it's come up on the show in the past, is Zen Habits. Tell us and our audience just a little bit more about it and why you like it so much. So Zen Habits was like the OG minimalism blog. It's written by Leo. I can never pronounce his last name, but he is someone who, incredible thinker. I love the way in which he sees the world. He's a guy who is like stressed out about money and overweight and stuck in all these areas of his life. And then he got to a grinding halt and just cut away everything in his life except the essential things. And he's been writing about this for over a decade and writes in a really beautiful way. And since that time, he like, you know, lost over a hundred pounds and became a vegan and wow. wrote books. And, you know, he, you just saw his, un, his like happiness unfolding through his writing. And now I see him more of like a Zen master. His writing is so much beautiful. He's like so far beyond in terms of worldview than so many people. And I love the way he sees the world. All right. Question number two, your favorite article of all time. Now this can be one that you wrote or somebody else's. I think the favorite article um, that I've written is success isn't about money. It's about peace. You can just find it on my blog. I think my favorite article of all time by someone else. There's a great piece. I always forget his name, but there's a great piece, and I'll send you the link, that was in Inc. Magazine uh, a couple of years ago, and it really hit me like a ton of bricks. And it was kind of like, you think you know everything in life, but here's like the 20 plus things that actually matter. And it was so revelatory to me because it was like, the world's going to tell you this, but here's how it actually is. And it was very much like, Love is what matters. Spend time with people you love. Um, you know, money is not the answer. I mean, there's so many kind of mind blowing kind of shifts in this article, and and you should definitely share it. I can never remember his name. I can never remember the article, but I think about it like all the time. Yeah, send me the link. I'd love to include it in the show notes. All right, Grant. Question number three: Your favorite life hack? Well, I do a lot of money hacks, and I certainly did in order to become FI. I'm not a huge probably fan or utilizer of life hacks. And in fact, I find a lot of the quantified self-movement, like habit stacking in the morning, like get up and have water with lemon and then meditate five minutes and then take a cold shower and then, you know, set your intention for the day and then use your productivity journal. You know, all that stuff, like really, when I first started hearing it, you know, maybe a decade ago, really stressed me out. It doesn't work for me. I do meditate in the morning, but usually now I wake up when I want and it's very fluid. I think if you try to schedule every five minutes of your life, you're actually going to end up getting less done in your life than building a system that kind of works for you. And sometimes not knowing what you want to do with your day and giving yourself, I call it like my lazy Sunday. And I do this now I'll go out and like literally just like lay under a tree in the park 
expecting nothing. And sometimes you just have to give yourself not even time to like decompress, just time to do nothing. And that doesn't mean like watch TV or even read a book, just like go out, sit in the grass and do nothing. And so my favorite life hack, I think would be doing nothing because so much of our life we're told to optimize every single thing. And sometimes you just need to optimize nothing. And then those big ideas or the, the inspiration or just the peace uh, will, will come to you instead of you needed to, to, to chase it. Serenity now, anybody? Anybody? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I hear you though, Grant. But I, I have definitely followed a lot of that quantified self-advice. And while I believe that each individual habit, there's some validity there, I just found like you that it overwhelmed me. I, I wound up having this daily to-do list of 15 things that were ostensibly good for me, right? But they just stressed me out. So I got rid of that entire to-do list and I just... I try to do the best that I can, but also to leave a lot of free space in my life. And I think it's really helped dramatically. Yeah, the last thing I'll add to that is like, I wake up every morning and now what I think about is like, life is your playground. And maybe you're gonna play with this toy today, you're gonna go do this other thing. But you know, if you think as life is just a series of things that need to get done and tasks that need to get accomplished, you know, Alan Watts, the philosopher, has a beautiful quote that life is like music, it's meant to be played. And when you think about music playing, sometimes you want to jam a little bit. Sometimes you want to go somewhere else. And I think that for me, thinking about my life that way uh, helps me a lot more than just a task list. All right. Question number four, your biggest financial mistake. I think my biggest financial mistake was prioritizing money over life. And so I asked that question of like, how can I make a million dollars? before I asked what kind of life do I want to live? And I ended up making huge sacrifices. So yes, I became FI in five years, but I gained almost 50 pounds. I lost my health in some ways. I've gained it back quite a bit. It's something like I've created a bigger mountain for myself than I needed to. I should have spent more time with some of my friends um, I ended up losing one of my friends. Uh, he died, and I, I really regret now not spending time with him. So I focused too much on the numbers. I was too addicted to making money. If I had chilled out a little bit and taken some time to breathe, maybe it would have taken me you know, seven years or 10 years to get there, and I probably would have enjoyed my life more. It's not that I was unhappy because I was so focused on this goal, but I never took the time to stop and, and smell the roses. So make sure that you're putting life before money, even in pursuit of FI. There's much, much more important things than even saving $10. Look around, spend time with the people you love, and prioritize those things first. And that, that's something that I, I didn't do. All right. This is probably going to be redundant based on the last answer. But for the sake of completeness, I'll ask question number five, the advice you would give your younger self. So the advice that I'd give my younger self is I thought that I needed a million dollars, uh, $1.25 million to be exact, if we're going to uh, stick to the Trinity study. I also thought that I needed to be financially independent in order to be free. I thought that I needed to get to the other side of the mountain to see you know, the green pasture. And while there are amazing benefits to becoming FI, what I didn't realize and what I wish I would have known when I was 24, 25, 27 on this journey is that you don't need millions of dollars to be FI to get like 95% of the benefits. Just 
having six months of expenses saved and being able to like breathe a little bit and have that freedom and more time in your, enjoy that, get there and then enjoy that and realize that you have so much more freedom than most people. Then when you get to one or two years of expenses saved, you have like 99% of the benefits of FI. And so make sure, um, you know, you don't, no matter where you're starting from today, don't look at that like $1.5 million hurdle and think, gosh, if only I could get there. Focus on just getting to the, the next level. And then the final piece of advice is you don't even need to save millions of dollars to become FI. And if I would have done it all over again, instead of getting to that $1.25 million mark, I feel like I took the right side of the track. I would have taken the left side of the track, which I firmly believe that investing in real estate is the fastest path to FI. And instead of like spending 90 hours a week working and investing in stocks, I probably would have focused on buying three or four properties in Chicago and focusing on being able to get consistent rental income that I could live on for the rest of my life, or even some hybrid of the two. You know, you might only need $100,000 saved, but if you've got a couple of properties that are pulling off enough money for you to live on, what's going to happen is the rents are going to go up over time. The properties are going to appreciate. And all of a sudden, you're going to have more money off two or three rentals than you'll ever need in your life and a net worth that's growing and assets that are growing. And then you'll be able to, if you want to build a real estate empire, that whole idea just stresses me out. But I would have taken the real estate route or at least a little more real estate because I think that is the fastest path to financial independence. All right, man. Well, it sounds like you did pretty good. Yeah, you know, even with having failed to realize the fastest path, you took about a thousand days. Maybe you could have done it in eight hundred using the power of leverage. Who knows? But we're excited for you. And I think one question we always have this bonus question that we like to throw at our guests, just kind of fun at the end here. What is one purchase that you've made over the past twelve months that's brought the most value to your life? So I'm going to equate value and joy here. I think the most joy that I've felt from a purchase is I. Unfortunately, and you probably read this in the book, when I had no money, I had to sell my Volkswagen camper, um, my prized Volkswagen camper van that I love more than anything in the world. I have totally an addiction to these things. And um, only a couple months ago, I was able to find almost the exact same year, an exact same camper that I was forced to sell when I was broke and had no money. Literally the last thing of any value that I sold was my camper van. I cried when I sold it. I was able to buy it again now that I'm FI, found it. It's awesome. I'm going to take it on the road. I'm doing a 40-city book tour in it. And I'm so excited just to sit in my little camper van and drive it around the world. So funny. I was actually, because I know that you've done a lot of work with Vicki Robin, and I'm remembering our Vicki Robin episode and her favorite purchase that she made. And this is episode 70 of our podcast. Her favorite purchase that she made over the past 12 months in that episode was also, if not a camper van, it was like an airstream or something to pull behind a truck. And, and I'm, and I'm really excited for you. And in particular, the tie in here is this journey that you're about to go on for our audience and the people that heard your story and want to find out more about what you're doing. What is the best way to connect with you and tell us a little bit more about this book tour? Yeah. So check out financialfreedombook.com or just search financial freedom on Amazon and, and buy the book. Honestly, like I've written hundreds of thousands of words on, on the millennial money blog, but I took none of that for the book. I wrote it completely from the beginning. It's an end-to-end strategy. It is like 50 times better in writing style and clarity than the blog. So just 
$13 or get it out from your library, read the book. I think that's the best way to learn more about what we talked about today. And then, yeah, um, at Financial Freedom on Instagram is my Instagram account for the book and the tour. I'm doing 40 cities in the US. All those tour dates are at financialfreedombook.com. I know we're going to do an event together in DC. And then I'm going worldwide. So this book is coming out in Japanese and Korean and Chinese and Vietnamese. And I'm going to go to 17 international cities the second half of the year. So I'm going to be touring Japan and touring Australia and New Zealand. And I'm so excited to take this message of you know, money as a path to freedom and ultimately uh, using money to, to live a life that you love. I'm excited to take it around the world and just want to say thank you to you guys for everything that you do in the community that you've built. And I can't think of two better guys to, to be on this mission with. And let's, uh, let's keep spreading the fire. Will do, man. I'm curious about this global uh, international tour that you're taking. Is your wife going on this trip with you? She's going to go on some of it with me. She's going to come to Japan. And then one of the cool things is like even the U.S. tour, um, I'm hooking up with all, you know, a lot of my blogger friends. So I'm going to do an event with Vicky and J.D. Roth in Portland, you know, the event with you guys in D.C., some other events along the way. And then international, some of those dates I'm going to be doing with uh, Christy and Bryce from Millennial Revolution. If you guys, if you want to come to Japan or Australia, let's do it up. Um, oh, it's on the I'm bucket try- list. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's totally do it, man. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be hanging out with some other cool people along the way. Very cool. Grant, thank you so much for coming on the show today, man. This has been a blast. Hey, thanks for having me. Brad, in this episode, there's so much valuable content. Grant was stuck and then he did a Google search and I've seen small aspects of this mirrored in other people's lives, but I think he's put it together. And I think individuals that maybe got out and were somewhat disillusioned with what that promise that they had was, what their education was supposed to guarantee them, and then came out and there was nothing there and just think that their story has been written and it can't change. There is a level of hope that comes with this episode that you can pick up a skill set in less than 60 days that you can monetize for the rest of life. And in a very extreme example, he mentioned a freelancer that's making over 100K a month. That is insane. It's insane. And I loved how he put this together and he balanced it with a lot of the Vicky Robin principles of enough. And I think he's got a wonderful message and some wonderful content for our audience. Yeah, I agree completely. This was a fascinating mix of philosophy and actionable takeaways. What he did was amazing. That pivot, it it reminds me of what Jay from Millennial Boss did, right? It was a very similar thing. She thought she had this wonderful path set out and then reality hit her square in the face. And it sounds like that happened with Grant. They both pivoted and they came up with these amazing workarounds that led to remarkable careers. And ultimately here in Grant's case, financial freedom in sub five years. That's, I mean, truly amazing. There are no words for that. And there's no reason to believe that other people can't do something very, very similar. So yeah, lots, lots to take in here. I personally might have to listen to this a couple times just to take in everything Grant transmitted, but man, there's a lot of info here. That's for sure. Everything he transmitted. What is he ET, Brad? (laughs) (laughs) No, man. I was, I mean, it's, it's, (laughs) no, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. It's fun Uh, to our audience. Grant actually was very kind and he has five copies of both his new book, Financial Freedom, and five copies of Vicki Robbins' book, your, your new edition of Your Money, Your Life. It's a signed copy. And he just said, I want to give this to your community. So we're doing something very special. 
If you leave a written review for this podcast and in that episode, just mention something about this show that brought value to your life, some actionable takeaway that you're moving on. You're going to be entered in a drawing to win one of these five copies. So regardless of, you know, our normal setup, you're familiar with our drawings on Friday. However many reviews we get, we will pick out the five winners and we would love to hook you up with a signed copy of Your Money or Your Life and Grant's new book, Financial Freedom. If you got value from today's show, if you've been getting value from the episodes up to this point, just take one second and press the subscribe button on the platform you're listening to this on. It just lets the providers know you're getting value from the show and you want to be here when we produce additional content. If you want to support us and what we're doing here at Choose FI, here are four easy ways. One, leave us an iTunes review. To do that, just go to chooseify.com slash iTunes. Two, use our page to sign up for travel credit cards. If you want to travel the world with miles and points instead of your hard-earned dollars, then just go to chooseify.com slash cards and get started today. Three, if you're working on the milestones of FI, set up a personal capital account to track your progress and use our affiliate link. It's completely free and just go to chooseify.com slash PC. P is in Paul, C is in Cat. And four, and most importantly, find your friends, coworkers, and family members who might be open to this message and tell them about the podcast. Have them start with episode 100. It is a fantastic starting place. All right, my friends, the fire is spreading. We'll see you next time as we continue to go down the road less traveled. You've been listening to Choose FI Radio Podcast, where we help middle-class America build wealth one life hack at a time.